Grace and mercy and peace to you, my friends, from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Imagine that you've been in an argument with somebody. Not you good people, I'm sure you never argue or debate with anybody, but imagine that you've been in a debate with somebody and that argument's been growing and growing and getting more and more heated and then all of a sudden the only way that it stops is when a bigger voice enters the room. Maybe you imagine that you're a child and you and your brother are arguing about whose turn it is I don't know what, you're, what turn you're arguing about, but whose turn it is, and the argument does not cease until your father steps into the room. Or maybe you're in the break room at work, and you and a coworker are arguing about something, and it doesn't cease until your boss steps in. Or maybe you're arguing with somebody in a Facebook group, and it goes on and on until the moderator steps in to silence your accounts. That is what is happening today in the book of Job, in this fifth section that we are in. God brings an end to the debate between Job and his friends about why Job is suffering so much. If you haven't been with us over the last four weeks, we've been working our way through the book of Job. And this video, I think, summarizes quite well the entire story, but catches us up to where we have been and what has happened Job is this man, this righteous man who was wealthy and now has been greatly afflicted. His friends have been arguing with him and debating with him. And now, finally, finally, in this courtroom drama, as we've been portraying it, where Job is the defendant and his friends are uh, testifying against him, in this courtroom drama so far, the judge has been silent. He has not said a word. But today, the judge speaks. God speaks. Speaks. And he speaks directly to Job right off the bat. God speaks. And he shows up in this whirlwind in a storm of sorts. And when he does, everyone is quiet. And everyone listens to God speak. And when God speaks, he speaks directly to Job. And these are his first words to Job. He says, who is this? Who is this? We'll put up this first slide. Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. Now that's not very easy English to understand. So in plain English, what God, in plain English, what God is saying to Job is, Job, why are you claiming to know things that you don't know? Why are you claiming to have knowledge about me and the way I do things when you don't know? And, and Job, why don't you get ready? Hike up your pants. I'm going to take you for a run, and I'm going to show you what truth actually is. What God is making the point to Job is this, that Job does not have a full knowledge of who God is. Job doesn't know who, who God is in his fullness, but he's been speaking as though he does. Now, before we think that God is rebuking Job very harshly, let me just tell you that in the very end of the book, not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but God will speak to Job and will actually say that Job was in the right in the way that he was speaking, more so than his friends. So when God is saying to Job, Job, you don't know what you're saying, he's not saying necessarily that Job was wrong, but that he was limited in his understanding. Not that he was wrong, but that he was limited, that he doesn't have the whole picture of who God is and how he keeps and orders his entire creation. 
Job's knowledge of God is small, even though he thinks he's got it all figured out. It would be sort of like this cute little girl looking through her toy magnifying glass. Job's perspective. She looks through this toy magnifying glass at that seashell, and maybe she gets a little bit greater level of detail. And, and she thinks, looking through that magnifying glass, that her, her eyes have been opened to a whole new world, that she's powerful, that she's got incredible depth of knowledge. But it would be like that little girl taking a toy magnifying glass and pointing it up at the sky and trying to capture a picture such as this next one which is captured by the Hubble telescope of a, of a picture of a gigantic cosmic dance happening 65 million light years away in the Corvus constellation where two galaxies are waging war against each other. I don't even know what that means, right? Let alone trying to see that with a toy magnifying glass. You might try to stare at the sky with whatever lens you're looking at God through, but you'll never be able to see something in this sort of clarity or this sort of depth with your limited knowledge. You know, Job's understanding of God is limited. It's not necessarily wrong, as I said. It's just limited. It's not complete. But God, God's not just going to tell Job, hey, Job, your knowledge isn't complete. He's going to prove it to him. And so he takes Job on this long nature walk that you heard in the, in the video for you, this nature walk, to prove to Job that he doesn't even fully understand the way that simple earthly things work. And so he says things to Job, like, Job, do you wake up the earth each day by flipping a light switch? Do you put it to bed at night? I, I laughed out loud when God said to Job, Job, do you know where snow is stored? Job obviously never been to the copper country, right? This is God's storehouse for it, right? And, so, and then he says, well, you, you, what about the eagle? You've seen it soar up high. You know that its nest is up in the cliffs. But did you create it, Job? Do you make the wind currents on, on, that enable it to soar? Come on, Job. What about you, smart people? The cumulative knowledge in this room is overwhelming. Think about it. We look around at all of you, and I think in comparison, if we stacked ourselves up with other churches throughout America, I bet the cumulative knowledge in this room is far surpassing any other church. You know how the world works. Some of you can design machines. You know the engineering behind how things work. You know, you know how, how dirt and rocks work. You know how to heal bodies and build houses. It's unbelievable what some of you are capable of. But have you ever heard of the country of Abkhazia? Yeah, well, now you have. Did you know that there are over 6,500 languages spoke in the world? How many do you speak? And have any of you deep sea fishermen ever caught one of these sea toads, as they're called? I thought about putting up one of those pictures of one of those translucent monster-like creatures that dwell in the depths of the sea with this sea toad, but those things freak me out and I want to scare the children. So this one looked a little bit friendlier, right? But have any of you ever caught one of these? Frankly, I didn't know any of these details before prepping for this sermon, and now I simply don't know anything more than I know a little bit of something about them. Right? But I'll probably never go to Abkhazia or speak 6,500 languages, and likely I'm never going to catch a sea toad 
if this is what I'm trying to catch. And even if I did, even if I did manage to do all that, I didn't create these things. I didn't make them to be the way that they are. God is proving a point, right? He's proving this point to Job and ultimately to us, that he is far, far beyond anything that we can imagine. We cannot comprehend him with our small human minds, and we cannot comprehend the way that he governs over everything. And not only does he govern over everything, but he created everything. And not only did he create everything, but he redeemed everything, and he has promised that he will restore everything to perfection. Job and his friends, though, they've been trying to understand God through a children's toy magnifying glass, claiming that they've got the depths of knowledge of who he is. And the lens in their little magnifying glass is a lens called retributive justice, or retributive justice. Retributive justice means that they believe that this is how God works, that God is a judge who ushers punishment for crimes. Retributive justice cares nothing for re rehabilitation, cares nothing about the person. It's just, if you do a crime, you get punished equal to crime. This is what they think God does, that he sits in heaven, just waits for people to mess up and to usher his judgment. Is this who God is? Is God just the ultimate Judge Judy up in the sky? Is this what you think? A lot of people do. Even sometimes faithful Christian people have this image of God, but this is not who God is. It's not who he is, and this is the point that he's trying to make. Now, don't get me wrong. God is a judge, and he will, as we will say in the creed, come on the last day to judge the living and the dead. We do believe that. But the way that God judges and the kind of judge that he is is different than what we imagine from the earthly standpoint. Because from an earthly standpoint, judges do just usher justice for right and for wrong. But in the earthly world, when we think of a judge, a judge is still under the law. Right? If a judge breaks the law, the judge has to go to jail. But God is above the law. He created the law. He is sovereign, he is supreme, he is almighty, he is keeping order in the entire universe, not just simply concerned with judging human sins. All right, so have we established well enough that God is bigger than we can comprehend? If you didn't know that already, this is what we are doing today. This is what God is saying to Job and to us. And so when we come to this place where we acknowledge that God is way bigger than us, what does it do to us? It puts us in a place of humility. And if we are truly in a place of humility, it allows us to listen to God speak. To listen to what God has to say to us. Because God is a God who shows up. God is a God who is present, and when God shows up, God speaks. And so God showed up to Job in a whirlwind, and he spoke, and God shows up to us, and God speaks. And how does he speak to us? Most clearly through Jesus Christ. Just as God showed up himself in the storm, God shows up himself in the flesh, in the person of Jesus. This God this vast, expansive God who is mysteriously far beyond anything we can imagine takes on flesh. How can the infinite take on the finite? I, 
don't know. I only speak one language. What, I, I don't know anything about anything. How am I supposed to fathom that? But it's true, and he did. So God comes to us, and God shows up, and God speaks. And God has revealed to us just exactly what we need to know about. You know, we're on a need-to-know basis, and God shows us what we need to know. So what does God show us? How does he speak to us? Most clearly through the cross. Because at the cross of Jesus Christ, we actually understand who God is and how he feels about us. Because at the cross of Jesus Christ, all of our human concerns come to a head. Because if you think about your life, what do all of your human concerns boil down to? They're frankly matters of life and death, right? Matters of life and death. Your greatest human concerns are matters of life and death. So on the cross of Jesus Christ, your greatest human concerns are made manifest. You actually see how God feels about life and about death. And in that, in the cross of Jesus Christ, we see what God wants us to see. And there on the cross, we see what true love looks like. We're just a couple of days past Valentine's Day, right? I don't know what your Valentine's Day was like. Uh, my, my marriage is good. My relationships are good. My kids are good. But on Valentine's Day, I saw firsthand as, as pastor what the opposite of true love looks like. I saw a lot of brokenness this Valentine's Day. As I met with and, and spoke with two couples and their families, who are dealing with abusive marriages. Horrific stuff, hard stuff. I spoke with an elderly woman who's being mistreated by her family that she lives with. I visited a man in prison who is there and has many broken relationships because of his own drug usage and addiction and abuse to his loved ones. On the day when we're supposed to talk about love, I saw what broken relationships look like. And on those kinds of days and in those kinds of moments, as pastor and you as Christian people, when you're brought into those moments, what do you do? What do you say? Where do you go? And for me, I only go to the place that humans understand, and it is the cross of Jesus Christ. Because in Jesus Christ, we see what true love looks like where God takes on our suffering and God takes on our sin. And there at the cross is not only true love, but true power. Because true power comes in Christ and power is made perfect in weakness. You know, the world laughed at the cross of Jesus Christ as he died and breathed his last people laughed. But God in the heavens gave a great belly laugh when the earth shook and the rocks split and the temple curtain was torn in two and God laughed and he said, you just wait and see what I'm capable of. God is powerful, God is love, and this power, this vastness of God is not intended to be some abstract concept out there somewhere. But it is meant to be a true good news story right here today. Because the power of God is made perfect in weakness. And if we are anything but weak, I don't know what we are. And in our weakness comes our fear and comes our worry. Man, do we have plenty of those. And I don't know what you're worried about today, what you're fearful of. 
But in my greatest human concerns, I, I share with Job. I fear for the well-being of my family. I, I strive to, to see to their well-being. I can't fathom the horrific loss of a child, yet sadly many of you understand what that reality looks like and share in common with Job. But when God shows up, God speaks with true love and with true power and shows that he is victorious over it all. And when we allow ourselves to be in his presence and give him control and give him power, there is a genuine freedom that exists. A genuine freedom that exists where we don't have to know why. We don't have to know how. All we need to know is who and his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. You know, Job and his friends, they wanted to look at God through their little magnifying glass when really all they needed was for the Father to step in and to lower that magnifying glass and to say, I'm here for you. All they needed was God's presence, and that's why he showed up. Friends, God shows up for you. God shows up. He's here with you today. This is the commitment that Jesus has made to you, his beloved. He is with you always. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He's familiar with your sufferings. He knows your sorrows. He holds you in your sadness. And a better day is coming. A better day is coming. Christ is coming back and he will make all things new. The story of Job is not complete yet, though. We've got one chapter left. Chapter 42. I encourage you to read it ahead. We're going there next week. Chapter 42. I, I pray that you come back because in chapter 42, there is a surprise to us. You might not see this one coming. For now, go in God's great peace. Know that his full glory and power and love is with you now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen.